Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. You might have caught my chat with violinist Julia Fisher a couple weeks ago, where she spoke about the Mozart violin concertos. She mentioned that one of her favourites was the second movement of the Sinfonia Concertante. And here to talk about the piece from a violist's point of view is Nils Munkemeyer. We chatted about how soloistic and chamber roles are blended throughout the piece, Nils's opinion on playing the viola part scordatura, that is, with the strings tuned up a semitone, the time he got to play on Mozart's viola, what, as well as other double concertos for violin and viola. Here's Nils Munkemeyer. Nils, welcome to the Strad Podcast. It's really wonderful to speak with you this morning, and today we're going to be speaking about Mozart's Sinfonia Concertante for violin and viola, a wonderful piece where two strings string instruments get to share the spotlight together and it's sort of a combination of chamber music but also soloistic playing and you'll be playing this with your good friend Julia Fisher so can you tell me a little bit about how you feel when you play this piece and what does your preparation involve in regards to you know your own preparation and your preparation with Julia as well? Well you know this piece is um, for me a piece where I can really connect with someone else while playing as a soloist with orchestra. I mean, that's quite rare, this double concerto idea. And I think it's particularly beautifully done in Mozart's Sinfonia Concertante, especially because there is a mixture of playing the same things um, one after the other. So we sort of imitate each other, the two solo instruments. And at the same time, there are many places where you suddenly go together in this sort of, you know, when two hearts combine and it's really like a love duet. I always enjoy this tremendously. And because I am in the luxurious position to play this with really wonderful people I never have to repeat myself because I constantly get inspired by others and um, yeah that makes it very special you know so there is a preparation where I think what do I want to do and I practice my part but then in the end ultimately the preparation happens while you play and spontaneously react so I try to be ready to do that and then I I sort of give up part of my own will to like do something together and that's very rare in a solo concerto. It's not so much like you and Julia get together and you decide exactly what you're going to do but instead you can kind of be in the moment and sort of bounce off each other, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean the the idea that you that you can't just follow your own sort of mindset in a concerto and that's something, of course, even if I play alone with orchestra, there's still interaction, but that you directly involve yourself with another solo instrument all the time, reflecting and mirroring each other, or maybe doing the opposite. That's also very different because I can't practice it in the same way, you know. So I can't say, okay, so I practice my my difficult spot, suck, suck, and then I will just deliver it the way I would hopefully normally do but no I suddenly maybe Julia goes very soft so I do more and then everything is different so that's a different sort of challenge also technically than you would usually have and I find that absolutely fascinating because ultimately I think we all should play everything this way so it really is something that happens in the moment. 
So it's it's very open-minded. You know what it reminds me of, actually? It reminds me of actors who do a lot of improvisation. And the first rule in improvisation is you just say yes. For example, if someone holds up two fingers and they say, this is a gun, and then the other person has to react to that and they have to say yes. If they just say, no, it's not, it's your fingers, <laughs> then the idea just sort of <laughs> falls flat. It's kind of that, isn't it? It's sort of being willing to be open to the other person's ideas and hopefully the other person feels the same to you as well, right? Mm-hmm. Well, also, I think that's why in these sort of pieces, it's very important that you choose the right people to play it with. <laughs> so if you play it with someone you don't really have, like you need sort of the same way of breathing in music and speaking the same language, so to say. If you don't, then, I mean, that could be interesting, but it's going to be very difficult to have a cohesive and, and intertwined performance, I think. So how long have you and Julia been playing together? It's several years, is that right? Oh, Jesus. Um, 2002, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. Coming up to 20 years, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's actually true. I will talk to her. We have to do have a celebratory 20 years collaboration because we actually really play together regularly all the time and... Um, also, I mean, I don't think you have to be friends to make music together, but there is something that you have to be willing to, I don't know, I mean, it's very intimate, you know, when you play, I mean, it's something that really comes from within you and you you need someone you trust. And I have 100% trust in anything Julia does and I th- I hope she does too. And then we... Yeah, it, it creates a very special atmosphere and it's different for me to play it with her than with someone I don't know as well. Every time is going to be different. And I imagine every time you play it, even with the same person, it would be different. But yeah, but I think that's also, you know, there are different types of musicians. There are people who love to have a set out plan and then they mark everything perfectly and then they do it exactly that way. And Julia is very spontaneous and I'm too. So we love to sort of go with the moment and do something different. So that always implies failure also. I mean, you, you're like walking a thin line of like it goes incredibly beautifully well or you, you sort of like suddenly it goes all astray. So you never know. But that's also why live performance is like the ultimate thing for these sort of pieces, I think. Yeah, because you have to take that risk. Yes. And the payoff is is great, hopefully. I wanted to ask you about your opinion on Mozart's Scordatura version of this piece. So for anyone who doesn't know, E-flat major is a rather tricky key for some stringed instruments to play. Anyone who's played the fourth cello suite by Bach will know how your left hand feels at the end of that. But Mozart, so he wrote a version in D major where the viola is tuned up a semitone so that you can play it in D major, which is, you know, a, has got a different sort of key characteristic feel. So, you know, what's your opinion on this? Have you ever have you ever done this version? Well, I was in the great position that I got to play on Mozart's viola. Um, yeah, it's in Salzburg in in the Mozart house. Um, 
I mean, it was quite, it was almost like, uh, like I was talking to a president because um, I couldn't like uh, practice alone with the instrument I had to. Um, and then there was someone with like white gloves handing me the viola and it was, quite, I mean, I couldn't leave the museum and everything. And then I played one concert with it. And it was incredibly interesting because this viola he had, it was actually very soft, very silvery and melancholic, uh, but not at all like a soloistic instrument. So that's when I tried the Scordatura because I thought, oh, um, I really need more focused sound and I don't project if I don't do it. So it suddenly made sense to me because these days we play on violas that are much bigger and they they are built differently so they really have a much more cut through soloistic sound and suddenly I was with this really chamber music prone instrument, you know, with a beautiful color but not with orchestra. I honestly think that it's a very pragmatic reason why he put this scordatura. So on a modern viola, I don't do it because it's not necessary. Yeah, it might be too powerful in that case. All those open strings would be super punchy. It sounds like that maybe he did it intentionally just for his particular instrument. Yeah, of course, you never know. But to me, honestly, there's also something that before I thought it's really weird because one of the beautiful things about this concerto, in my opinion, is that when the violin plays something and then I play the same line on the viola, that it's sort of like the same thing with a different shade. And I mean, I don't play viola to sound uh, brilliant and floating over the orchestra, but I mean, I'm, the, the reason you play a lower string instrument is for a different sort of sound and it's more, has more warmth, you know, and um, more closer to human voice, etc., etc. You are a cellist, you know what I mean? And I was always so puzzled why he would put something that would essentially make my st string instrument sound more like a violin. <laughs> exactly. So I really didn't like this Scordatura before, but then suddenly it made sense to me when I had his viola. And how did it feel? Was it easier on the left hand in that sense? No, for me it was very hard because I have absolute pitch and um, I played this piece, I don't know, maybe 200 times always in the normal setting and then suddenly to like do everything half note higher although it's nicer for the left hand but then I I've, I I don't know I felt very unfree in this performance because I had a instrument that was very small and it didn't fit me so well like I mean I wasn't used to it I could only practice in the museum with like this like people watching me all the time and then suddenly I played also with Scordatura so I thought that was very stressful but it was more the, the the outside setting I suppose. Yeah I can imagine that would mess you up wouldn't it because you'd be hearing it in a, a particular key but then on the paper it's off and it it, it just messes with you right? <laughs> Yeah, it's also, but it's like, uh, you know, when you have to say your phone number um, and for example, my phone number has like four times a one, so I say 11. And then if people suddenly say your number, but they, they group the numbers differently and you're like, oh, wait, is that my number? And suddenly you get confused. That sort of feeling, you know? Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. So I also wanted to ask you, 
What are some other wonderful violin and viola concertos that you've played or would like to play? There is one version from Stamitz, which I played also because I thought it was interesting to see because um, we know that Mozart went to Mannheim where the Stamitz brothers were, and they both were amazing violists, Anton and Karl Stamitz. So I thought, oh, interesting. They act, um, Karl Stamitz wrote a similar piece and Mozart went to them and afterwards pl- wrote this, you know. So I played this, but um, it's a nice piece, which is, of course, not like this masterpiece by Mozart. And then I played the Britain concertante, sort of double concerto, which I thought was very nice. It's a piece by young Benjamin Britten. And um, yeah, but it's a very different feel. It's, it has almost like this, um, well, you know how Britain is. It's like classicistic with still a lot of, romantic feel in it and then it has some uh yeah this uses very different effect and it's much more about combining the two instruments to create patterns so but that's a really nice piece and um then i heard actually that uh Penderecki wrote another concerto but i i didn't listen to it yet i know the britain one i know because the viola's got that fantastic beginning bob 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 that's right <laughs> <laughs> Nils, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's been really wonderful to hear your thoughts on Mozart. Thank you, likewise. That was Nils. He'll be playing Mozart's Sinfonia Concertante with Julia Fisher on the 4th of February with the LPO, details of which are in the show notes. You're listening to an excerpt from Paganini's Sonata for Grand Viola and Orchestra, taken from his latest album, a review of which you can find in the June 2021 copy of Strad. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news and articles on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. And if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days. Start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or a rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.